just a reminder that if you are not going to, um, if, you, if you make it a regular practice to use Tithely, you can make your, your Christmas for Christ app uh, or, or offering on the app. You just have to designate that it's for Christmas for Christ in the memo, okay, so that it gets to the right place. But Tithely is definitely an option. Let's all stand. This is my favorite time of year, which is not surprising to anyone who has known me for any length of time. My Christmas decorations usually go up in mid-November. This year it was after Thanksgiving, which just was painful for me. But um, my brother's little kids came over and helped me decorate the day after Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful for that. It's a lot of fun. And they're thankful because I think their mom doesn't put up decorations till December 1st. So they get a little Christmas beforehand. I might not be right on that, but I think that's right. It is Christmas time. And I'm, I'm going to turn to a passage that we normally turn to in Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll start reading in verse 6. We'll go from 6 to 7. Many of us could quote this because we've heard it so many times. Probably the amount of Christmases that you have been alive, you've heard this message or this verse read or quoted. And it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the only Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one and only. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And similar language is echoed in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 2. And we'll start reading in verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us who this given son really is. Because there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto us is born a Savior, Christ the Lord, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen. Today I want to talk about the increase of his government. Amen. Jesus, thank you once again for visiting us, for making your presence manifest among us. For opening our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive from your word today. Open our spirits to receive your truth. God, let us hide it away in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, I pray that you will touch every life that's present in this room or that's listening in another way to this message. 
change us and help us to recognize the increase of your government. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. This is an amazing promise. Isaiah received a prophetic word that speaks to us thousands of years later about who this Christ would be, who this Savior would be, who this everlasting Father was going to be. And so it's no surprise when we pull out this passage, uh, it's this powerful illustration. It still has impact to us today. It tells us about his nature and about his ways and about what he's coming to be and to do. And so I'm going to read this passage again, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 from the New Living Translation. I think sometimes we get hung up on King James words. Um, So this can help us have a little bit more understanding. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. That's powerful. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, there were many people looking for a savior. They were looking for the Messiah to be born. They, They knew this promise. They knew that it existed and that Christ would be called the wonderful counselor. That he would be the mighty God as we say, the mighty God in Christ, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. He, he is the prince of peace, and that this son would somehow miraculously be called the everlasting father, because he was God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. He was the everlasting Father, and they knew that he would govern. They had received this promise. They knew that his government would be on the increase. Now, we've, we've lived in a world long enough to see historically as governments grow and ebb and flow, right? A famous book is uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Because every time in human history that there's been a civilization rise, historically there's also been a fall. But that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. Because the increase of his government, there's not going to be an end to the increase of his government and its peace. It is on the rise. There is this constant increase. And so they saw this promise. They knew that it would happen that way. And for this people group who were long displaced from their fatherland, They had been pushed out of Israel and taken captive by first Assyria and then Babylon. And all of their pop, most of their population had been removed hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. And so the, the trickle factor, they're trickling back into the, the, the land that God had ordained for them. 
They're coming back in, and as they, they are coming back in, they're trying to possess land that originally had uh, belonged to them and had been taken and had been reclaimed by other people, and there's this struggle and strife that we might, might sound a little bit familiar because this struggle and strife is still going on. It's still happening that there is this struggle, and so it's no surprise that when people uh, expected the Messiah to come, they had a certain thing in their mind of what it would look like. The followers and watchers of Jesus, some of them expected his kingdom to come in a very present, visible way. They had been occupied by the Romans uh, for some time, and their Roman governance was led by a pagan mentality and a pagan worldview. And so they wanted a Messiah who would liberate them from their oppressor. Why? Because Isaiah had said of the increase of his government, there's not going to be an end, and he's going to rule from the throne of David. And so it only made sense to them that he's going to come and take up a physical throne and make physical changes in their physical situation, that he's going to change their governmental circumstance. That's what they were looking for. And so in Luke 17 and 20, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Now understand what's being asked there. When is this kingdom going to take up leadership of our governmental system? When is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You're looking for a visible physical throne to be occupied by a man with a crown on his head. And I'm telling you, it's not a visible kingdom. What I'm here to start is an invisible kingdom. And he says, you won't be able to say it's over here or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Wait a second. We don't see it. There hasn't been a coronation. We just witnessed a huge coronation earlier this year over in Great Britain. There's not been any royal robes put on anybody, no scepter, no orb, no crown. What do you mean this kingdom is already among us? The kingdom was already there, but they couldn't see it and they didn't recognize it because it didn't look like what they expected it to look like. They wanted help in their present circumstance so that they could be more comfortable in their, in their everyday life. They didn't take time to see past the resume of this carpenter and the role of the rabbi that he was playing at that time from where they sat. There was no reason to believe that he was a king. And so they didn't recognize, even when he was in their midst, that the kingdom, with the king being present, the kingdom was present. While the king was present among them, they did not see his kingdom or his kingship. This kingdom was already there. And Jesus is saying, look, you're looking for it still to come and you're missing it because you don't realize who is really with you and who, who he is. Who he really is. This kingdom, this rulership, this government that rests on his shoulders will not stop growing, but it is an invisible 
spiritual kingdom. It involves hearts and not, I think it was, um, I'm getting ahead of my notes. The kingdom was not what the Pharisees were expecting. They wanted a self-governing nation. They wanted autonomy in a physical sense. And Jesus came to preach instead deliverance to spiritual captives and liberty to those who are internally bruised. He wasn't about setting up a political coup. He was not a revolutionary in that sense. He, was, he had a lot of revolutionary truths to share with us, but he was not a revolutionary who was going to stand up and defy a government. He was about his father's business. And he was establishing a spiritual kingdom, preaching a message of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but he was not ready to sit on a physical throne. That day is coming where he will rule and reign visibly. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That day is coming. It's coming quickly. But at this point, Jesus had not come to rule from an earthly throne. So then, how were they supposed to really understand this passage of the increase of his government and peace? There will be no end. Jesus is still in the governing business, just like he was that day. He's still governing uh, from this position of strength in the spiritual realm. And so this, this government shifted about the time of Calvary. He said, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. After Calvary, after the resurrection. And now, rather than ruling us from these tablets of stone that Moses had brought down from the mountain, he's ruling with a law that's written on the tablets of our hearts. His kingdom is in here. His kingdom is in here. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. His government's on the increase. And he governs us as we give ourselves over to him in obedient faith. See, he didn't come to govern just a little people on the face of the earth. He came to govern the earth through the people that came to him. So it starts with me. It starts with governance in my heart. Lord, I believe you. I believe in your character. I believe in your nature. I believe that you want what's best for me. I believe that you have a plan. And so I submit myself to your governance in my life. I submit myself to your ways. I, I give myself over to your will. See, obedient faith will always lead to submission to the king. In a kingdom, look, most of the kingdoms in the world have been stripped of their power. They're, they're really figureheads. That's not how it is in a true kingdom. In a true kingdom, the king speaks and it is done. The king issues a decree and it is followed. Or there are consequences. And we have a gracious king 
who allows us to come back to him over and over and over again and submit to his governance. This is the outcome of the most basic repentance that we invite him to govern us. God, I'm sorry for all the things that I've done that you do not agree with. I know that you have issued decrees and created laws and you have spoken and I have not aligned to what it is that you asked of me. And so I'm sorry, I repent of those things and I'm gonna live my life according to what you do agree with. That is basic repentance. Sorry that I didn't do things that you agree with. Sorry that I I did things you don't agree with. And now I'm going to live my life in accordance and agreement with your governance. And that's great to happen one time. Man, the first time that you repent, you feel that weight lifted off of you. And you know that you're forgiven and God has done a mighty work. And then you mess up again. Because we're human. We're not perfect. We're striving. We're trying. And we can still come back to him. And repenting is one thing, but living in a repentant lifestyle is what the Christian walk is all about. Staying submitted. Not just submitting, but staying submitted to the laws of this government that's coming to change us. And so when I live a repentant lifestyle, I remember I'm, I'm an earthen vessel. I'm just, a, I'm just a ball of mud up here that God has chosen to fill with his spirit. And I have this opportunity to come back to him and ask him, Lord, I, I messed it up here. Can you remake this area of my life? God, I, I did something that I, I, I regret, and I don't want to live that way, and I, I want you to change me. And so we remember I'm an earthen vessel, and I'm prone to cracking and breaking and chipping and leaking out the water of the Spirit that he's filled me with. And so I come back to him over and over, and I go back and I ask, Lord, reform me and remake me and refurbish me and re-image me to look like you because I want to live a repentant life where the government of God can be on the increase where he's setting the limits and boundaries for my life. And he's trying to help me know, go this way, don't go that way, do this, don't do that. I'm, be- I'm being led by the Spirit of God. That's what the, he- the government of God being on the increase, the goal in my life is that I would be led by the Spirit. Amen. Governed by him. And so I want to tell you, I have good days and I have bad days. And there have been days that I would rather forget even happened. But I have made up my mind that in my life, his government will be on the increase. And in my heart and in my thoughts, his government is going to be on the increase. And I'm going to submit myself to the ways and the laws of God. And it doesn't matter how many times I have to come back to him. Micah 7, 7 says, therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and my God will hear me. 
Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, because those times when I fall, I'm going to get right back up. And when I'm sitting in darkness, the Lord's going to be a light to me. Why? Because I've chosen that he will govern me. He is the God of my salvation. He's the one who's calling the shots. And I'm going to come back to him every single time that I mess up. I'm going to cry out to him. I'm going to believe that he will hear me. And I'm going to give myself one more time into the presence of the governing God. Hallelujah. I have decided and I hope that you have decided that the increase of his government will not have an end in my life. There will be no end. And it's not just his government that Isaiah said would increase. It's also his peace. And those two are said together for a reason. When the government of God increases, it brings peace. And that peace will be on the increase the more I give myself over to his governance, the more peace I'm going to have. Why? Because his laws are for my good. And his ways are about making me better. And he creates a better life for me as I give myself over into his ways and into his principles and living by his laws and letting his governance conform me to his image. It only feels like restraint when I'm trying to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. The laws of God will only feel like a limitation if I'm walking in the flesh and not in his spirit. <laughs> Pastor, don't tell me not to do that. Don't tell me the Bible says I can't do that. My flesh wants to do that. And the limits and laws of God are only constraining if I'm trying to live against them. But when I yield and I acknowledge his ways are higher than mine. His ways are higher than mine. He's got a purpose and an end in mind for my life. And as I give myself into his hands, he will govern justly, righteously. And I don't want that government to end in my life. The government of God is accompanied by peace. His government increases and peace increases. And it's peace that passes all of my earthly understanding. It's not dependent on my circumstances or my situation. It's a deep and abiding trust that he is in charge and he's got this. And he's governing things on my behalf. And he's working in a way that's going to work to my advantage because I'm giving myself into his government. Sometimes... Just being real honest, sometimes I forget this part. Sometimes I come to repentance from a place of guilt. Feeling guilty drives me to repentance rather than the goodness of God. And when I come to repentance from a place of guilt, it's very difficult to pursue the peace or receive the peace that God wants to give me. Because the guilt will stay. Guilt, condemnation, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. Sometimes that enemy is the devil. Sometimes that enemy is my flesh. 
But when I come to repentance from a place of guiltiness, it's very hard to receive the peace of God. But when I come from conviction and I know there's a way to change and I know that there's a God who's bringing light to my darkness and he's bringing forgiveness to my sin and he's covering whatever it is that I've done or said or been. When I know that, when I trust that, that government can come and bring peace along with it. God, conform me to your image and in that conforming there is peace of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen. This is what we're praying for. When, when, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he responded with a structure, an idea. You could pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. Unique and set apart and unlike any other be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. That means perfectly and without opposition. See, the angels have already seen what happens when someone goes against the nature of God in eternity. They saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. They know what happens when someone opposes the king in his kingdom. And so they are not opposing him. The angels who are present in the, in the presence of God are not opposing him. They take direction quickly. They move in obedience quickly. So when we say, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth just like it is in heaven with expediency, with obedience, with true submission. Let it be done. We're praying for the government of God to be on the increase. And when we say that, a lot of times what we're really saying is, Lord, let your will be done, but it's not, Lord, let me do your will. Let everything around me conform to what it is that you want to do, because I know for that, that's for my benefit, but God, I'm having a really hard time submitting this old flesh. Let your will be done, but don't let it be done through, through me. Sometimes I think the Lord just laughs at our prayers. Like, do you even know what you're asking me for? And, and he did this on earth. Not, not that he laughed, but when John and James came and said, hey, grant to us that we be seated on the right and the left hand, he said, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to be baptized with? And they said, oh, yeah. Yeah, we could do it. They had no idea. So if you really want the will of God to be done, it might just require that you do the will of God. In fact, I'll say that's 100% of the time. But at least in my world, when I pray for the kingdom to come, it's usually that I need some kingship and I need the governance so that I can do what it is the kingdom is requiring. I want my prayer to be, Lord, of the increase of your government and peace. In this heart, in this life, in this place, I don't want there to be an end. Let your government increase. Let your peace increase. 
let your will be done, and let me do your will. Amen. And this is the personal side of this message or this prophecy. Uh, One of the reasons that the Pharisees were so confused about this invisible kingdom was because it was in its infancy. They were seeing bits and pieces of it as they were looking at what Jesus was doing. It was was really, uh, I shouldn't say infancy, it was really kind of in its gestational period because the day of Pentecost would come and the church would receive its full birth and it would become the primary mechanism through which God will govern in the earth. Do you understand that the church is not just about a place that you come to worship? It's about activating and enacting what it is that God wants to do in the earth. We are the vehicle through which God will bring about end-time revival. We are the vehicle through which God will fund the global revival that he wants to see happen before his second coming. We are the vehicle through which the government of God is on the increase. The church is this primary tool of God's governance in the earth. It's the church that publishes the good news of the gospel and teaches the ways of the kingdom to the people. And it's the church that stands as a point of access so that people can get into the spirit realm and receive what it is that God wants them to receive. The Holy Spirit living on the inside that can govern us and show us what we need to be doing and what we don't need to be doing and then empower us to be that person. I don't have the power to be a Christian in myself. I need the Holy Ghost in my life active so that I can live out what it is that God's asking of me through his government. How can people believe except they hear? And how do they hear without a preacher? Do you know that there are countries around the world who are sending missionaries to North America? Apostolic organizations of nations around the world are sending missionaries to North America. That should challenge us. Because, yes, it's a big task, and we need a lot of people on the team, and I welcome them, and I welcome their efforts, and that's awesome, but what am I doing? We have many more ministers and churches in the United Pentecostal Church in North America than in any other country in the world, and yet they send missionaries to us. Somebody said it's a shame. I I don't know that it's shameful from their perspective. And I don't believe that shame does anything productive in us, but we should really be thinking about if I was doing, if, if everybody in the kingdom did what I do to win the lost, what would the church look like in 10 years? If everybody prayed the same amount that I pray, what would Sunday service look like? 
See, here's what I know. I know that these people who get on this platform have prayed through before they ever set foot up here. And they've been praying for this service every day this week. They've been investing in the kingdom and investing in the growth of this service so that the Spirit of God will move with liberty and so that there will be change in the house. If everybody prayed as much as I pray, would that still be true? That there'd be liberty in the house? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the primary tool of establishing his government in this continent, in North America, is the preaching of the gospel through the church. You really want the government of God to be without end? It's going to take us, us, all of us, getting off the seats and out into our community and sharing this good news because you are what God will use to govern in this earth. This is why we have a Kingdom Builders Expo in early November. This is why we're asking every person, What's the Lord laying on your heart? What's, what's burdening you? How can you get involved? What are ways that you have seen opportunities to serve? Why? Because we are the tool of God's government in the earth. We need you. The government of God needs you. We need your contributions, not just financially to something like Christmas for Christ, but we need your resources and you to be present, to be active, to be a contributor to this church, not just in finance, but God's put giftings in you that we need. Some, t- some places in this church, this is not in my notes, but some places in this church are hurting for people because your gifting is not being activated. It's a very direct way to say that, but we need you. And I want you to know you are part of the increase of his government. And peace for somebody. Somebody else can find peace because you showed up. And God used you to establish his government. The local church, the global church, serves to expand the government of God. The government of this invisible kingdom is established through this vehicle, the local church. And this is why we send missionaries. This is why we send church planters. This is why we ask you to start Bible studies or the Lord lays it on your heart to start Bible studies because Bible studies become preaching points, which become open doors to start daughter works. The Metro East is is underchurched. Metro East St. Louis is under churched. If we really want one church for every 10,000 people, this area is underchurched. And we need the help of God. I don't know who I'm speaking to. That wasn't in my notes. But if God calls you to it, he will help you do it. Whether it's teaching that Bible study, 
praying those intercessory prayers that shake the gates of hell and pull people out of darkness. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do, if he asks you to do it, he's going to help you do it. Don't belittle yourself in your own mind to say, well, I'm just a grasshopper in my own sight. Surely I can't overcome these giants. No, 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 no. He doesn't leave it to ourselves. It's his government. And he's on the increase through us. And not even the gates of hell can withstand a church where God's government and peace are on the increase. Let's all stand. Sister Moya, if you would put up that graphic and Sister Ruth. Thank you, Sister Moya, for stepping into this new role today. I appreciate you. Amen. Sister Ruth is doing a great job training some new people so that we have a deeper crew, a deeper set of crew on that, on the, the audio visual. This is an old graphic um, from maybe five or six years ago that North American Missions published out um, to help us sort of visualize what, what churches, a network of our churches across North America might look like. Um, do you notice how concentrated everything is on the east side? Western United States needs churches. They need churches. Um, I wanted to share this because I was recently on a, a business trip to Michigan. And on one of the flights, I was, I was seated by the window. And it was dark outside. And we took off. And as we rose, you could see all the street lights and house lights and you know, all the communities and all the buildings and all the light shining in the middle of the darkness. And I felt the Lord speak into my spirit, every light, a soul. See, the natural state of our earth is, is darkness. But where there's a light, where there's a street light or a house light, or a building, something shining, it's because people are there. And every single one of those lights represents the presence of humanity in need of God. It's overwhelming to us, so we don't like to think about it a whole lot. But sometimes we need to turn our attention to the fact that there are hurting and broken and unsaved people all around us. I meet them everywhere that I go. Some of them know a little bit about Jesus. Some of them know a lot about the Bible. Some of them might have met him to a certain degree. But many people in this world need what I grew up with. Through no action of my own, people have poured into me a truth that I, I, I can't imagine living without. Every single light represents a person who will stand before Jesus and give account. And I am going to have to give account for the words I didn't say and the Bible studies that I didn't teach 
prayers that I didn't pray. The captives who were not delivered because I didn't speak the gospel to them. This should be a sobering reminder of our real purpose. This is a world in need of the life-changing truth of the gospel. That I can come and repent of my sins because he died for me. His blood was shed to cover the fact that I have not lived perfectly before him. And I can bring my sins to him and he will forget them, forgive them, wash them away from me. He will remove the the crimson stain of sin from my life as I am baptized in Jesus' name. And that saving name of Jesus is applied to my life in a way that no enemy can ever remove. And it washes me. By baptism, we also are now saved. And we are clean vessels to be filled with his spirit. Identifying with his resurrection as we come out of that watery grave. And he fills us with his spirit. And we begin to speak in an unknown language that we've never learned. See, God never wanted you to wonder whether or not you were saved. He gave you evidence. And when you speak out those words that you never learned, and you speak in tongues before him, you can know without a doubt that God has filled you with the power to live a life that in your flesh you simply cannot. Every light a soul. Jesus came for you today. If you have not had that experience of repenting and asking God to forgive your sins and making that commitment to live in a way that he agrees with, today is your day. If you've never gone down into the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, today is your day. We can help you with that. It doesn't take a long time. We have towels. We have everything ready. And baptism is necessary for salvation. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins or the removal of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is a promise that's to you, to your children, to those who are far off and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you have not received that spirit, that promise from God. Today is your day. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He wants to give you the power to live an overcoming life. And if you have come in need of a refreshing, maybe you've been through all those steps before, but it's been a good minute since you've had an opportunity to come to an altar and repent of your sins again. And trust that he has forgiven you and find that place of refreshing and overflowing power of his spirit to cleanse your mind and your your soul from 
more time. Today's your day.